Coming up, with the hiring of Monty Williams in Detroit and the bubbling interest around one Cameron Johnson, we discuss not only the potential trade for Detroit or acquisition through free agency, but the overall market for what could be a key piece in the Brooklyn Nets rebuild. We dive in next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it's the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie, owner-operator of DFSR, for all your daily fantasy sports rankings from DraftKings to FanDuel. He's got you covered. I'm Adam Arbrick, breaking down the New York Football Giants on the One Giant Podcast with my boy Andy Mack. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We're free on all those great platforms. And Doug? We dive in on what feels like a timely conversation around one Cam Cameron Johnson, but also I think what is going to be a theme for this offseason for the Brooklyn Nets because his name is now kind of on the lips of a lot of teams that have money and need to improve themselves this offseason as well. Yeah, this could get pretty tricky for the Brooklyn Nets here uh, with Cameron Johnson because, as you mentioned, the reason we're starting off with this is the hiring of Monty Williams over in Detroit um, and the fact that he's going to go on to be their next head coach means that there's now sort of like institutional probably interest in Cameron Johnson from a team that already had been mentioned about possibly thinking about signing him as a free agent, um, as a RFA this offseason. And if that's going to be the case, and there are multiple teams now that have just sort of off the record had reporting that they could be interested in this guy, that could put the Nets in a spot where it's really, really tricky about what to do. Because if what you never want to be in, and we'll talk about this today, but what you never want to be in is a spot where you were overpaying because other teams that were in had no problem overpaying just kind of yeah. got into the sweepstakes. <laughs> right. And that, you know, buying a house, buying a car, buying a player, <laughs> like in terms of contract stuff, that is sometimes the, the worst spot to be in. And I think the Nets might be headed toward that with Cameron Johnson. Well, here, and it's, it's funny because we've mentioned this before in the offseason about how, boy, depending on you know, Houston could bubble up and, and really want, want Johnson, and they have the money to pay for him. But I think the thing we stopped short of discussing was exactly this. What if multiple teams yeah. that have the money to burn want to pursue Johnson? That does change the dynamic of saying, well, hey, they made an offer of X, right? And we talked about what contracts could look like and what Brooklyn Nets fans would feel like is an overpay to retain Johnson. But if all of a sudden you have multiple teams that are saying, yeah, we're in the four-year 90, now 95, 100, even beyond a $100 million contract, it definitely changes. And let, let's just briefly stop on that on that point. If the money starts to get big enough, before we get into how the Nets could still stay involved with sign-in trades and, and what this could mean for them going forward, if multiple teams start throwing that kind of money around, do you think it makes it easier for the Brooklyn Nets, for Sean Marks to then just say, yeah, listen, we, we did want to be in on this, but unfortunately, you, you can see what's happening right now. We love, we love Cameron Johnson, but 
It's just not going to be in the cards for us if we're talking about an average annual of 25 to $27 million right out the gate here on a four-year deal. I mean, it should make it hard. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if it will make <laughs> right. it hard. I, like, I, I think there's a there's a, a distinct difference sometimes with how this uh, organization operates. Um, and so I think it should really and – and look, I'm, I'm underselling it. Like, these guys clearly think about this a lot. Like, they're, you know – have a full grasp of the cap and have full grasp of like payer of, of player um, just sort of value along the salary spectrum. So I'm not, you know, making, I'm not really making light of it. I think it will make it very difficult for them internally to think about what the, like what the risk reward is for Cameron Johnson, because remember, you know, on one hand, and I do want to get a little bit more about why this Pistons thing is like relevant too, because I, I think that is, you know, is, really important to understand about like where this market come come from mm -hmm. but with the nets and we've talked about this multiple times in the podcast i do get worried a little that coming out of this uh durant Kyrie, and i'll throw harden sort of era that happened with the brooklyn mm -hmm. nets that they there's a different vibe in the building about what the team should be <laughs> right and when that is around faces of the franchise and guys that we can trot out to the media and guys that are good dudes, right? Like just like Mikhail Bridges, good dude, Cameron Johnson, by all count, good dude, right? Like the good dude cost, I think is actually, I I'm worried that that's starting to could be starting to play a bigger factor than it really should be. Um, and an overpay of Cameron Johnson here would represent that to me because I don't think there's a lot of like good analytical backing for why he should be getting like a massive contract. And yeah. if you're worried that like, you're going to be outbid and he's a part of that Durant thing and, and the Durant trade and you know, that factors into it. And like his friendship with bridges factors into it. You do start walking down a slippery slope of like good decision-making around your basketball op stuff. I don't know. Does that make sense? Cause that's kind of like what I'm starting to think. Well, of course, because, you know, we said, you know, whatever you want to frame it underneath the heading of culture, right? The Nets want to get back to this era of Nets basketball where you're excited to watch the team and you're also not frustrated by what the expectations are based on who the players are. But guess what? You sign Cam Johnson back to a massive deal, $100 million contract. Fans are going to change expectations, right? And we talked about this with other players on other rosters. We talk about it with Joe Harris and how his money looks so bad based on what he's capable of doing. We talked about it with Russell Westbrook and how bad that contract looks and how he still has value at the right price. So, do, so does Johnson. But if you start spending, you know, this isn't superstar money, but high level money all in the vein of wanting to have a culture and wanting to kind of reset the narrative around your organization. There is a threshold that you pass here where you go. Yeah. But, but, but now we're just, you know, you're paying a hundred dollars to go see a movie. That's damn good. But also is only worth the $17 and the $20 in popcorn and soda, right? Like there's just, there has to be a point when you say it's too much. And maybe we're going to start seeing that here. When we talk about the Pistons, we talk about the Rockets being potentially in play for a guy like Johnson. Obviously, the next part is, can the Brooklyn Nets stay involved in this? Can they be a part of the process of moving Johnson in a sign and trade? And could you get value from a Pistons team, even from a Rockets team? And what would that change in the narrative around where this team is and whatever step of the rebuild we do believe they're in? 
All right, before we get to that, I'll tell you about our friends over at FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs right now. New customers over on FanDuel can get a no-sweat first bet up to, wait for this number, Adam, prepare yourself, $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel's got everything you would ever want on the betting side over there. I mean, for the NBA Finals, obviously, we gave out some of the different combos yesterday that you can roll with for the Heat Nuggets. Uh, Heat went into that one minus nine favorites. You can probably tell that we're recording this before that game. That's all right. You can check in on the bets over at FanDuel uh, after it's all said and done. It's not just basketball. FanDuel's got you covered for MLB, got PGA, soccer. It's all there for you. Over at FanDuel, all you have to do is go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. You're going to get a no-sweat first bet up to, I'll tell you one more time, $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. Okay, so specifically when we think about how feasible do you think it is for the Brooklyn Nets to stay involved in a sign-and-trade? Because, the, you know, the mechanics of, of, of how you manipulate that can end up saving another team on, on, on the contract and how it looks. And maybe you can add some things to it and create even more value for a roster like the Pistons, who, by the way, in this instance, with Monty Williams, as you mentioned at the top, being the new head coach formerly with Phoenix, where Johnson certainly had a lot of success early in his career. And remember, too, actually, just side note, and this isn't a knock on, on Johnson. But he had said early with the Brooklyn Nets, I was playing a particular style for my entire career in Phoenix. And now I'm being asked to do something different. And that's not a bad thing. It's just different and it takes time. There is a world where if you're Johnson, you look at it and go, boy, I'd love to be able to keep thriving in this thing that I did. Or do you maybe look at it as in Brooklyn, I get to expand my game. Like if we if we go player focused here, do you think Cameron Johnson is looking at it as, Brooklyn might be my best opportunity to continue to be this version of myself, whatever that ceiling looks like. Oh yeah. I mean, definitely it would be I, like for, in terms of like basketball, just sort of exploring the studio space uh, that would be that Brooklyn would be the best just because of the, the way the roster is currently formed. Right. Like it would just be, it's not super guard heavy, right? Like they don't have tons of all on ball creation. Like, the chance to be your best offensive self statistically probably just from accounting stuff is, is for him probably would be in, in Brooklyn, right? Like going, let's say like a hardened led, a hardened led rockets team, let's say would not be that, or even just like Jalen Green. I mean, just some of the other guys they have there, Jalen green Porter, like Porter junior, like those guys, there's not going to be, Shangun, there's not going to be ample opportunities offensively, I don't think, to really shine. Detroit, frankly, the same way. We don't know where they're going to go in the draft yet, but they already have Cade. They already have Jaden Ivey. Like, they have guys there that are going to be on the ball a lot. Brooklyn doesn't really have that. So I, I do think, like, statistically, and just your best chance to just be yeah, like just the highest usage rate, if we're just going to put it that yeah. way, would probably be would probably be a situation on the Nets. Now, if someone's going to just, like, pay you more money, I, like, that's sometimes an easy equation to do. It's like, well, I'll sacrifice some shots for many more millions of dollars. Like that's an also <laughs> that's an also fine uh, equation to sort of run yourself through. So I think from that standpoint, yeah. But I will say, like 
Monty Williams has been on record as kind of loving this guy. And this is where this comes from, right? Like there's like, there's multiple quotes here from Monty Williams in the past about Cameron Johnson and Mikhail too, where he just loved these guys. And if, and, and if that's the case and Williams is stepping in here and he's kind of like, Hey, I kind of want to get in there and win, (laughs) you know, maybe not win the championship, but start winning with this Detroit team. I don't know. Like that could be really incentive to do, to, to want to go there. And by all accounts, Cameron Johnson love Monty Williams, right? Yeah. And so yeah. like, this is, I got some quotes here, but like, and we get your thoughts and I'll go into some of these quotes, but like, I don't know, man, like there could be a nice little handshake here between these two guys be like, Hey, we, we already liked what we had once. Like, let's roll this. Let's run this thing back. Yeah. And by the way, too, you know, it's funny just on the um, making more money now versus what it could look like. I think in the case of Houston, it would probably look, I'm going to say the worst out of these. We're talking about three scenarios here, just in terms of you might get big money, but at 31 years old, when that four year contract is up, you may be looked at as a guy that was overpaid for four years and isn't going to see that big money again in Detroit. We'll get to these quotes about how Monty Williams feels about him and vice versa and where maybe that expanded role is is there for him. And likewise in Brooklyn, like you could play out in one of these two spots and come out the other end of it also still saying there's more money to be made. So in the instance of, say, Brooklyn, maybe I'm going to take a little bit less here in the short term to be here as long as it's marginal, you know, at best, because you can't just say, ah, leave. Why don't you leave 25 million on the table across a four year contract? However, even at 31, because you're right there with Mikhail as the new faces of the franchise, one B face of the franchise, really. You could say at 31, maybe there's still another contract for you. So if you think long-term, there's certainly maybe an avenue for for Cam Johnson to still come out successful after staying with Brooklyn. But based on what you hear from the way Monty Williams talks about him and the way Cameron Johnson talks about Monty Williams, this 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 may just be the perfect storm for him to be able to say, I can make the most money, have the expanded role, and also just love the coach that I'm playing for, regardless of how I feel about Brooklyn, JV, or Mikhail. Yeah, there was a an interview back uh, around the time of the trade deadline, or when Kevin Durant um, was traded, where Monty Williams was talking to um, was talking to Nick Ferdell, uh, old friend Nick Ferdell from the uh, <laughs> the Nets beat. Uh, he said, "If I was going to lose Cam and Mikhail, it be better Durant. be for Kevin uh, referencing Kevin Durant." You know what I mean? It's like crying in one eye and then the other eye is kind of bright. Um, William Monty Williams added this is the only time in my coaching career that I've cried after a trade uh, referencing referencing uh, Cameron Johnson. Uh, and then he also had said, I think he should shoot the ball every chance he gets. That was in talking about Cameron Johnson to Monty Williams. I mean, nothing but high praise here. Uh, and Monty Williams, um, you know, outside of DeAndre Ayton, like there were he's like a player's coach, like play other players, especially like these kind of guys, like kind of love him and have loved him in the past. Um, and you might be. So you might look, if you're Cameron Johnson, you might look at that situation and be like, love the coach, right? The guy really believes in me. There's a world like two years from now, the Pistons are just like better than the Nets. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, that's not, that's not totally outside of like craziness. They have like young, really, it's probably be tough, but it's not crazy to think about it that way. Um, I don't think, depending on how the Nets like end up making some of their moves. So I don't know, man. Like when you hear quotes like that coming from the coach, that, and by the way, that move by the Pistons is very clearly like, hey, we're not, we're kind of developing, but we're trying to win, yeah. right? This isn't like a up and coming coach, player development. Let's see what we have. Let's take a couple of years. You hire Monty Williams because you told him is like, hey, we're going to start going for this now. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. Like we got Cade, we got Jaden, we got whoever's coming in the draft. Jalen Duran looked really good at times. Like they have some veterans here. They have Bogdanovich here for a couple more years on an insanely good contract, right? Like they got Wiseman and he started to show some stuff. Like they have some dudes here. You round it out with a veteran like this. And all of a sudden you're like, I don't know. Can you sniff the playing game? They could probably talk themselves into that. Right. And like, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I think it's, I think like, this listen. is what makes it super tricky. Right. Right or wrong. Like whether or not you, we objectively sit back and think Detroit's a point X or we'll get to point Y by adding Cameron Johnson. That doesn't matter. It, it's their, it's their belief that the players they have there, and I'm not even knocking it and they have a lot of young talent. And if you think about the wing position, you mentioned Bogdanovich and just saying, well, what if I could get somebody who's a little bit more athletic out there on the wing as well, right? A guy that can do a little bit more on ball, and they're two different models of players with different skill sets, but defensively can bring certainly more value to you as well, right? There are direct one-to-one impacts of bringing in a player like that. And I think, you know, we'll close out the part of the conversation around this because the other piece is what could a sign and trade look like if we're going to entertain that that's a possibility for the Nets? And then could this actually be a blessing in disguise? But the last note I'll make is, in, in the trade with the Phoenix Suns, Mikhail Bridges comes to Brooklyn and he has now elevated himself to the next level of, of whatever player he's going to be in the NBA. His profile is bigger, the spotlight is brighter, and the expectations are higher. And that's great for him. For Cameron Johnson, just I, and I don't know if this matters. There's two folds. Their personal relationship, I think it'd be very easy for them to look at one another and say, hey, Brooklyn was your opportunity, Mikhail, and Detroit is going to be mine, right? That's where I'm going to get to do the next thing for myself. I can make the argument, though, that if you're Cameron Johnson, your spotlight and your profile is brightest with Brooklyn because you're being looked at as the top two guys. In Detroit, you're being looked at as an experienced veteran who knows Monty Williams' system can help bring along younger guys. And that's a different type of, of value. And that's a different type of, of perspective. But this is the first chance that Cameron Johnson has been able to be like, you know, I'm, say, I'm saying a star, right? That he's being regarded as one of the key figures in a franchise. It will be different if he goes to Detroit. It would be different if he went to Houston. I do wonder if that plays a factor for him. Again, all things being equal when it comes to money. And we'll tap in on how the Nets could benefit from a situation like Cameron Johnson leaving here in a second. Okay, take take the lead here on on what this looks like for the Brooklyn Nets if a potential sign and trade were to happen. Is is Detroit a favorable organization for the Nets to be getting some value back in return potentially? Uh, I mean, they don't have tons of tradable contracts. Like if you're talking about that kind of money, um, they they have some. They actually haven't seen like good value contracts right now, which they'll probably pick up the options on nearly everybody. Like there's almost you know Bogdanovich wouldn't be coming over in a sign and trade. He has way too much value, right? Like they could have traded him. They could have gotten like multiple firsts probably if they had traded him at the deadline this year. They didn't want to probably because they thought that this is where they were going, right? Like they were going toward, hey, we'd like to win. This guy's going to help us win. Uh, he was really good for them this year. So like he's not coming over. They have the Bagley contract that they probably wouldn't mind getting off, although he stinks. So I'm not really interested in that. Um, and then after that, they just have like a bunch of super favorable team options. Obviously, Cade, he's not going anywhere. They have Alec Burks. I think they probably see him as like pretty integral if you're trying to win with like veteran stuff. They just brought over Wiseman on the player option for 12. The, the team will probably pick that up, would be my guess. Um, and then like after that, it's basically just like rookies that they probably don't want to ditch. Right. And so, like, I in terms of trade, 
assets coming back, like, I don't know what they would want to really give up here <laughs> um, I mean, unless I, I'm missing something. I like, you know, I was, I was just going to look, I was going to say, you know, Weissman who they got over from golden state. They're not say, doing like, that on the last year of his deal. Like, you know, I mean, it's like when you look at it, you know, the, like that's the first name just cause there's some money there in draft capital, but to your but he point, looked, but he already looked better. Like I watched yes, a bunch of I know, listings, like problem, late in the right. season. He already looked better getting out of golden state. Right. Like, well, so let me ask number you, let me one, ask number you. one overall pick. They're not going to do that. They're, yeah, yeah. they're just not going to do it. Yeah, let me let me just ask you. And it, I'm using Weissman as the example, but um, Monty Williams coming in. First of all, you can make the case that Monty Williams coming in, and he's like, "Yes, I've watched Weissman. I believe that I can use and develop him right and turn him into X or Y underneath my tutelage." Um, but just any any player on this roster, will the Brooklyn Nets? Do you think ever be in a position in one of, in this negotiation potentially to say? a little bit of hardball it like they did with phoenix for kevin durant right in saying hey you want kevin durant once upon a time we couldn't even dream on getting a package like we got back now we are going to drive the hard bargain new head coach new mentality for detroit potentially this offseason i don't know what that looks like you know driving the hard bargain with detroit like you said there's limited options there but just saying hey like we we know like we can just keep we can keep cam johnson we can just resign him and listen It'll cost us a hundred million and that's not ideal, but I'm willing to not blink here and wait for you, Detroit to ultimately say, okay, if you're going to potentially just keep them under contract, we will sacrifice this because the Nets could, by the way, to round this out, the Nets could resign Cam Johnson and then wait to see what happens over the next year or two and go back to the trade market at that point. And, and in the instance where he's a free a restricted free agent right now, they might get more real value for him at 29 years old for a team that's ready to compete, et cetera, than they will in this moment. Yeah, for sure. And the other, the other piece of that, that sort of like dovetails off of what you were just saying is that let's say though that money does get, start getting nuts, right? Like that these other teams are coming in here and there are multiple teams that want this and the, and the money does start to climb and climb and climb as the nets, you, you can actually start telling yourself, well, we should bring him back because that's what the market is. <laughs> so it is actually a good deal, <laughs> right? Like the deal, is, right? Yeah. this is like that. We, we let these other teams set the market, the mark, if, if it even comes, sometimes these, you know, these RFA guys are weird because like the timing on it gets super weird. Cause you can't really like do a ton of other deals and you kind of just wait and then you wait and wait and wait. And then the other team just matches. And like, what did you really get? <laughs> you know? So like there is like some weirdness that goes on with this. And this is why sometimes you don't see these deals kind of come to fruition because the other team just gets caught up doing other free agent stuff. Yeah. And the timing, they don't like the timing of the CBA stuff doesn't really help the restricted free agents in this way because it just makes it wait. It makes other teams have to wait too long and they don't just want to bother anyway. Yeah. But let's say it did happen. You could be like, you could say they're nets. You're like, you could walk away feeling good. You're like, hey, someone else set the market. It's not us. They did it. So we're going to match. Right. Right. Like, and that's just what the fair market says that Cameron Johnson's price is. So we're not getting ripped off because that's just what other, if another, you know, the value of something is whatever someone's willing to pay, right? Like that's just like the yeah. real market value of something on a base level. And you can just talk yourself into like, Hey, that's the market value. It's X years, X money. We feel fine because that's what he got offered. And we're not the only ones that wanted them. And I think you can tell yourself a story. It's not actually even incorrect. Yeah, and having multiple teams potentially be interested in him also, I think, helps that narrative as well, right? It's not just, well, one team, because there's always those guys in restricted free agency that one team goes nuts over and overpays. 
But if you have multiple teams that are saying, hey, we were willing to go 22, 23, 24 million a year for Cameron Johnson, then to your point, Sean Marks, Joe Sy, they can say, yeah, that's just where the value was. The last thing then that we can close out on here is, as you see in our, our fancy rundown to the right-hand side of the screen, if you're watching on YouTube. By the way, subscribe on YouTube because that's where you see this beautiful, you see a beautifully well-lit Doug Norrie. You see a confused, slightly shadowed man in myself, but it's all going to get just so good so soon. Um, blessing in disguise for Brooklyn, where Detroit comes to the table. They make the offer. The Nets look at it and say, well, I can tell you that you set the market, or I can tell you that you've overpaid on the market, right? And in doing so, we get to just, here's the problem. Let Cameron Johnson walk away. The The, the issue there is he is, even if not the best player in the trade, one of the key players from the Kevin Durant trade. And we've talked about that before. And I'm going to take away the fact that it was Kevin Durant. And that's the critical piece because these are the guys you got back for him. I'm just saying he's a critical guy. You got in a trade and he, it, without him, you now suddenly with no getting no capital, nothing in return. You could potentially, that could be the case here. No sign in trade. You just go, we lost a starter. So now we have a starter to replace in our rotation. We know we have two first-round picks. And now, all of a sudden, as team-friendly as the Mikhail Bridges contract is, it maybe this will be something we can discuss, I think, going forward. Losing Cameron Johnson is probably going to inspire Brooklyn to make one of these other swings that we've been hearing rumors about with bigger names. Because I don't think the Brooklyn Nets are in the mindset of saying, we'll lose a veteran player, key starter on our team, and then we'll just go replace him in the draft and, and, we'll, and we'll build from there. That's not going to be good enough for them going into the season. So this is, going to, this is going to trigger them spending money. And maybe I'll tie it into the last conversation we had about a big-name player. Do you want Cameron Johnson at $25 million a year? Or do you want Pascal Siakam at $38, and, $38 million a year and costing some draft capital potentially, right? Like those are potentially the seesaw effect of what happens here for Brooklyn. Yeah, that's pretty close. Um, I'm not sure, actually. Uh, that one feels like a coin and, flip territory. I can see that you get off of Siakam's money sooner, right? So there's those things long term. But but I think that that's what you have to start living in the reality of, right? The Nets are going to go spend yeah. some money somewhere. They're not going to not find a way to occupy a starting role and occupy some significant money, maybe potentially in the shorter term. Yeah, that one's close. Um, I have to probably think on that one a little bit. Uh, I would. My gut would probably say. Cameron Johnson at the lower number and you think about, you know, uh, spinning him off at some other point, if it's not working out, I think that probably has a higher floor, honestly, mm -hmm. just from like organizationally, but I, I, that one's pretty close. Um, in general, look, losing an asset for nothing is like one of the hardest and most painful things in the NBA you can do, right. Is like having a guy that you lose for nothing. That is the optics are always terrible. It, really hurts because it's really hard to fill roster spots under the salary cap when you have guys bird rights and stuff like this like it really really does stink and you can and you see the examples of it from the past you know like Jalen Brunson like what right these guys that went off and they right. the team that had them just lost them for nothing um and those I mean that's like the that's the you know edge case disaster but there's lots of other times which is why you see these sign and trades facilitated so often it's why you see guys overpaid at times is because Losing a guy for nothing really stinks. Really stinks. Yeah. It's really hard. Um, and so I think from that point of view, that's always going to 
incentivize the current team to do a little more, <laughs> right? Just because, and you know, the current team being the Nets, but this can be fascinating to watch it play out. I, this market is more robust than I kind of thought it was going to be, I think. And this is something we're going to probably end up banding about a few times over the summer. Cause I just saw something else where like the Grizzlies could like get into this. And so, um, well, and this yeah, is so where, anyway, it, this, that's for another episode, but yeah, this yeah, is yeah. this, he's got more, he probably has more free agent value than I initially considered. Yeah. And I, and I'll, my, my closing thought is going to be that every time you hear another team potentially wanting to get involved, this is where the sign and trade becomes a more feasible reality and where the Nets can get value out of this situation. Because that's that's where you go, you sign them to the contract, and then we'll sort out the details on the back end, as opposed to getting into a, a more open bidding war on the restricted free agent market. And all those teams, you see this play out all the time, all of those teams, when you want to get a restricted free agent, it ties up your money for the amount of time that your offer is on the table. You cannot go spend it somewhere else. So whoever is interested is going to want to be committed to it, and try to get it done quickly. So it'll be interesting to see how fast the Nets are willing to move on it if they see a team that has the roster where they say, oh, there are players on the right contracts at the right ages that we can make it palatable to make this kind of move. All right, we're going to get out of here. Lots of stuff to cover still. We're going to break down some more draft stuff uh, next week as the uh, mock drafts sort of start to solidify a little bit more getting into draft season. So we'll go through a bunch more prospects that could fall into the Nets range. Make sure you tune in for that. Make sure you subscribe over on Locked On Nets YouTube. Let's get those numbers up to 6,000 subscribers. That's the goal, folks. 6,000 subscribers is where we want to be. Be part of the movement. Subscribe to Locked On Nets on YouTube. Hey, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. Mike Keaton as Batman from Batman. Oh, there we go. One of the all-time great poets. We'll be back again next week talking more Brooklyn, (laughs) talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball.